0: I came across an article that talked about the American Atheist Organization, and atheists are those who do not believe in God. And the American Atheist Organization paid $20,000 U.S. for a billboard near the Lincoln Tunnel, which connected New Jersey and New York, and it would be a high-trafficked area. The sign, surprisingly, had a silhouette of the Christmas nativity scene. But true to the organization that paid for this billboard, these were the words that were printed above and below the nativity scene. You know it's a myth. This season, celebrate reason. You see, for the atheist, the Christmas story is but a myth. Any reasonable, rational person, anyone who celebrates reason cannot really celebrate Christmas. And so they wanted to encourage atheists who saw this billboard to quit celebrating this myth of Christmas. And in many ways, the reason a lot of us don't get into the Christmas spirit is because we have lost the wonderment of Christmas. You know, we know the story so well. It's been told to us so often, it is narrated, it is dramatized, it is read to us that somehow we have the notion that it is within reason, that it is very natural, that it occurs daily that God would be born to a virgin in a little city called Bethlehem, that the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords naturally... With great reason would of course have to be born in a little outpost of a city in the land of Judea What we've forgotten is that it is a story That should not have happened Because it is an impossible story God coming into the world and taking on human form Being born as a babe in Bethlehem Is a biological impossibility And yet that is what Christmas is all about. The Christmas story should not make sense. If it ever begins to make sense to you, then you are celebrating reason. The Christmas story does not make sense. You are not celebrating reason. You are celebrating an impossibility made possible. And there is no rhyme and there is no reason in an impossibility made possible. And yet in this what we call the incarnation of God When God takes on human form That impossibility is made possible And it reveals something great about our Heavenly Father It reveals the truth of who God is What does it reveal? It reveals Him as the God who does the impossible The great story of Christmas is a revelation of a characteristic of God That He is a God who does the impossible And so this morning as we continue our sermon series entitled More Than a Manger We want to see that this story Is simply more than about a manger and a star And shepherds and wise men and sheep It is the revelation of the greatness of who God is And specifically the revelation that He does the impossible This morning if you have your Bibles I'd like you to turn with me to the Gospel of Luke We have been in the Gospel of Luke in our study Gospel of Luke chapter 1 verses 26 to 38 is what we'll take a look at this morning. If you're new to the Bible, it is the third gospel in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, and then we get to Luke, Luke chapter 1 verse 26 to 38, and I often read the passage multiple times so that you have time to open your Bibles and look at the passage. And as I have admonished our congregation oftentimes, you don't need to look at me. I want you to look into the Word of God download a bible app into your phone turn to luke chapter 1 verse 26 to 38 look at verse 26 and 27 with me now in the sixth month the angel gabriel was sent by god to a city of galilee named nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was joseph of the house of david the virgin's name was mary Now, if you begin in verse 26, you ask yourself the question, the sixth month of what? If you are using principles of Bible study, hermeneutics, we call it, when there is something uncertain, we look at the context. And here we look at the preceding context. It is the sixth month of the pregnancy of Elizabeth, who we talked about two weeks ago. And so in the sixth month of the pregnancy of Elizabeth, the angel Gabriel is sent by God on another mission to deliver a message to a young woman in the city of Nazareth. Now, what do we know about this woman? Look at verse 27. She is a virgin. She is engaged to a man named Joseph, who is from the tribe of Judah of the house of David. And her name is Mary. Now, look how Luke orders the description of this woman. If that which is most important to him under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is listed first Notice what is most important to Luke It is the fact that she is a virgin She is pure She has not slept with any man And even though she is engaged to Joseph Which we find out in verse 27 Engagement or being almost married does not mean one has the license to lose their purity. What a great lesson for us. Now, we know this story well. We know that Gabriel is going to announce that Mary is to give birth to Jesus Christ. But how Gabriel delivers the message to Mary will reveal to us some important principles about the God who does the impossible. How Gabriel brings the message to Mary, we will answer the question, why God does the impossible? And then secondly, from how he brings the message to Mary, we will see how God does the impossible. Why God does the impossible, then how God does the impossible. And then we will see, thirdly, proof that God indeed does the impossible. And then we'll bring it all together. Well, let's take a look at the why. The why. Look at verse 28. And having come in, the angel Gabriel said to Mary, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. The angel appears to Mary and tells Mary three truths, three wonderful truths. First of all, that she is highly favored. Second, the Lord is with her. And thirdly, blessed are you among all women. Now I want you to notice that the very message of Gabriel, the first thing he brings out, is a statement of facts of how God thinks about Mary. God thinks that Mary is favored. He is with her. He is blessed. Now, does she deserve any of this compliment? Compliments? We're not told anywhere in the Scripture that somehow she was more righteous than anyone else. Do you read that? In fact, it was said of Zechariah and Elizabeth a few verses before that they were righteous and God gave them a son. What about Mary? Nothing is said of Mary. We're not told anywhere here why she deserves such favor from God. I want you to look in your Bibles very carefully. Is there any verse that talks about the immaculate conception of Mary? It's not there. Mary is not the mother of of Jesus Christ because she is immaculately concepted. It's just not in the scriptures. So why is Mary a favored one? Why is Mary blessed among all women? Because God deemed it so. She receives undeserved favor. And you know what we call that? We call that grace. Grace. Mary is selected to be the mother of Jesus Christ only by the virtue of God's grace You see I want you to see that the basis For God doing the impossible is by his own volition God doesn't have to do it. He wants to do it And it's it's a wonderful truth Because we don't have to bargain and bribe God to do the impossible God If I give you all of my money, would you make this impossibility a possibility? God, I'm a a righteous person. You owe me this one. Or as many people have said on the hospital beds. Lord, I promise to give you my life if you will heal me. But it doesn't work this way. Why does God dispense his impossibilities made possible? He does it because of his grace, number one. His grace is the reason for God doing the impossible. Grace is the reason for God doing the impossible. It is the reason, and he chooses to do it, because of his grace. You know, when Gabriel tells Mary that she's highly favored and all the compliments, it is what God says to us today, those who are believers in Jesus Christ. The truth is, we're just like Mary. Mary. If you read the New Testament and the epistles, you know that we are highly favored and therefore we are to rejoice. And I don't want to get into the theology of predestination and election, but we were chosen by God. We were highly favored. We should be rejoicing for those who are in Christ. The Lord is with us. That applies to us. The Bible tells us God himself lives in our heart in the person of the Holy Spirit. The Bible tells us we are blessed Among all the people of the world, we are blessed. Why? Because we are children of God. Now, did we do anything to deserve any of these wonderful compliments that God can say of us? And the answer is no. All of these truths can apply to us because of His grace and His election of us. You know, when we see illusionists like David Copperfield or Chris Angel or magicians, Do seemingly impossible tasks. Why do they do it? What is the motivation? They do it to entertain a paying crowd. Right? You you pay so you can watch them do feats of impossibilities, or so it seems. Why does God do the impossible? And the answer is because of his grace. Look at verse 29. But when Mary saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. Of course, one would naturally be scared when you were greeted by a supernatural being, something that has not happened in the intertestamental time for over 400 years, something that Mary would have read only about angels appearing way back when in the Old Testament. And here, a supernatural being, the angel Gabriel, appears to her Now, look at Mary's reaction. She was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. It seemed like Mary wasn't very used to too many compliments. Who's Mary? She was a nobody. We'd never heard of her before. And when she heard these things, she became skeptical. You know, whenever we hear something nice or special about us, when we're not used to hearing it, we get suspicious. For example, when my kids come up to me and they begin to sweet-talk me, I love you, Daddy. You're the best dad in all the world. I know they want something. So my reply, what do you want? I question their intention. And I think this was a bit of Mary's reaction. She was troubled at his saying, consider what manner of greeting this was. And I want you to look at verse 30. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found, note this, favor with God. And there's that answer again. Though why God does the impossible because of His grace. What angel Gabriel was telling Mary was, there are no strings attached, Mary. Don't be afraid. There's nothing to be afraid of. I'm not here to sell you anything. I'm not trying to get something out of you. You you didn't do anything right. You didn't do anything wrong. It is just simply because of the fact that that God's favor, God's grace was upon you. And because God's grace is upon you, then you have nothing to be afraid of. Listen carefully, my friends. When God's grace is removed from his action, then you and I need to start worrying. Because then God interacts with us in a tit-for-tat way. God says, I do this for you, you must do this for me. We say, God, I do this for you. You must do this for me. But that is not the relationship that God has for us. God says, the reason I do the impossibilities in your life to make it possible is because of grace. When grace is removed from the actions of God, then you and I need to worry. Why? Because if God doesn't seem to be answering your prayers, when grace is not there, we begin to wonder, have we done something wrong? what are the sins in my life that god doesn't seem to be blessing us or on the flip side what are the things i must do to curry god's favor and to curry god's grace and then we start going down the road of legalism and we start going down the work the road of works salvation don't think that you did anything to deserve god doing and making the possible from impossibility. It is because of God's grace. And the wonderful thing is that every one of us, doesn't matter how spiritual we are, has access to a God who does the impossible. Equal access, that is a wonderful thing. And so when God wanted to do the impossible, to save us from eternal damnation, what did He do? He looked down upon us with grace, and he found, we found favor in his eyes, and the Bible tells us he saved us. You and I are not children of God. We are not saved because of anything we did or because we deserve something more than someone else. It is because of the grace of God. You remember what Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 and 9 tells us? You know the verse well. For by what you have been saved through faith? Through faith grace. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourself. It is the gift of God. When God does the impossible, He does it because of His grace. That answers the question, why? Now let's ask, how? How does God do the impossible? We'll look at verse 31 to 33. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, And she'll call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. The angel Gabriel tells Mary that she will be with child. And his name will be Jesus. And he will be great. That is what every mother wants to hear. That my child will be great. He is the promised Messiah from the house of David. In her womb will be the promised Messiah. Now put yourself in her shoes. When you hear something like that, what would you think? How would you react? Wow, cool beans, pretty cool. I get to be the mother of the Son of God. But Mary wants anonymity, it seems. He doesn't care about the limelight. You know what she's thinking? You know what is in the mind of Mary? How does this work? Look at her response to verse 34. Then Mary said to the angel, How can this be? Since I do not know a man. Simple, naive question. How can I get pregnant? Because I've never slept with a man. And I want you to notice the implication of verse 34. Mary's statement to the angel implies, and I don't plan to sleep with a man because we're not yet married and still engaged, right? How can this be since I do not know a man? How can this work out when I have not slept with a man and I do not intend to because we're only engaged? You can sense the purity of her heart. And here is the answer of Gabriel, verse 35. And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Here is the answer to the question, how? The angel Gabriel explains something that will be unique throughout all human history. God will take on incarnate form, human form, Through the power of the creator God who can create life not from sperm and egg like all other human life is made but from the outworking of God the Holy Spirit through God's power alone. Do you understand that? A lot of you are nodding your head. You shouldn't be because I don't understand what I just said. I have read verse 35 throughout these many years. And you ask me, Pastor, how does that work? I don't know. I really do not know. And you know what? You're not supposed to know. If you can figure out how that works out in verse 35, please come and let me know. Please. I want to know. You see, the answer to Mary's question of how can this be is answered in verse 35. It is simply through the power of God. It doesn't require a natural explanation. The Spirit will overcome you. The power of the highest will overshadow you. How does that work? Tell me. I haven't figured it out and neither should you. And no theologian has figured that out. And if they try to figure it out, then they're on the brink of some heresies. Let me warn you there. Sometimes we forget that when God tells us that it is by His power, it doesn't require an explanation. The power of God, number two, is the basis for Him doing the impossible The question of how, number two, His power is the basis for God doing the impossible. His power. It doesn't have to be explained. Sometimes we forget this truth, that when God reveals Himself through Jesus Christ, God reveals Himself as the one Who does the impossible simply because he's all-powerful. One of the greatest themes of the incarnation story, the birth narratives, is that it displays the power of God. How can God do the impossible? Because he's all-powerful. Going back to that illusionist magician example. You know, when we see David Copperfield and Chris Angel do those feats of impossibilities... When we see something like that on television or go to their shows live, what are we thinking? How do they do it? Right? We're always trying to figure it out. Maybe they use sleight of hands. Maybe they use mirrors. Maybe they've got props. Hundreds of people. You know, how do they saw a woman in half? We kind of know that. How do they make cars disappear? How does he go from this place to that place in a second? And we're trying to figure out how it's done. And sometimes that's how we approach when God does an impossible thing. Well, how did God do it? Did he use a sleight of hand? Is he using mirrors? No. Impossibilities are made possible because of the power of God. Because that's who he is. Now you say, Pastor, why are you beating this to death? I want this in your mind because of the great implication. You know what the implication is? The God you believe in will determine your faith, will determine your hope. If your God isn't very big, if He can't do impossible things, if somehow how He does impossible things must be explained rationally, then He's not a very big God. And He won't be able to do what He says He can do. No wonder so many of us have a very low view of God. No wonder many of our faith is paper thin. Because when people tell us God is a God who can do impossible things, we begin to question and say, no, He can't. We would never say that openly. But we want to ask the question, how? How did He do it? Well, the Bible tells us He does it by His power. One of the greatest sporting feats is to run a mile under four minute. You know, they've been trying to do that since the days of the ancient Greeks. We know that because of old records that have come into light. The old records show us that the Greeks, early on, as they were running these foot races, tried to accomplish this feat, running a mile under four minutes. You know how to how they motivated runners from the writings of the Greeks, we find out that they used wild animals to chase the runners. That would certainly provide a lot of motivation for you to run faster. And even though they used wild animals to chase the runners, they were not able to break the barrier of running a mile under four minutes. If you read some of the writings and how they did it, it's pretty funny stuff. Uh, One option was to try tiger's milk. No idea how they got it. Don't ask. But somehow that would give them the potency to run a mile under four minutes. They never were able to accomplish that. Centuries, thousands of years they tried it. Nothing worked. It was not until the mid-20th century that one was able to do that. So throughout the centuries, they decided, scientists... Athletes, trainers decided it was physically impossible for a human being to run a mile under four minutes. They said our bone structure is all wrong. The wind resistance is too great. Our lung capacity, our lung power is inadequate for a man or a woman to run a mile under four minutes. There were a million other reasons. Then one day, one human being proved that the doctors and the trainers and the athletes themselves were all all wrong. And miracles of miracles, that year, in the mid-20th century, Roger Bannister broke the four-minute mile. You know what happened? The year after Roger Bannister broke the four-minute mile, 300 runners broke the four-minute mile. How does that work out thousands of years? They could not run a mile in under four minutes. One guy breaks it now 300 people can do it the next year Was there a genetic mutation that allowed them to do that? No You see somehow when you know it can be done It can be done How can the impossibilities be made possible simple because god can do it That's how Science doesn't have to explain it. Reason doesn't have to explain it. Simply, God can do it, and he can cause a baby boy to be born in the womb of a virgin. The impossibility is made possible because God's power is the basis. Simple as that. Again, the implication. How you think upon your God determines the type of faith and the type of hope that you have. Well, with the question of why and the question of how answered, sometimes we still want proof that God can do the impossible. And without Mary asking, Gabriel gives her proof. Look at verse 36 to verse 37. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is how the sixth month for her who was called barren. And this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. Note this, verse 37. For with God, nothing will be impossible. Mary, here's proof. There it is. Elizabeth, your relative, advanced in her age. Remember, I talked about this two weeks ago. You don't call a woman old, even in the Bible. Elizabeth, your relative, well past childbearing age, is now with child, one who was called barren. This is proof that God can do the impossible. You know, this news must have shocked Mary. Remember, there is no birth announcement on social media, no letters, no emails back then. Everyone minded their own business. And in fact, they were living in separate communities. That's why geography is important. Mary lived up in the north, in the city of Nazareth, in the area of the Galilee. Elizabeth lived way south in a village in Judah. And remember, from what we talked about two weeks ago, Elizabeth remained in seclusion for how many months? Five months. So there was no way the news could spread and make its way to her relative, Mary. You see, I want you to see number three. The proof. The proof that God does the impossible is His work. His work is evidence for God doing the impossible. God's work... All around us, that surround us, is evidence and proof that God does the impossible. I want you to look at creation. Look how intricate and how beautiful and how orderly, how majestic creation is. And yet what does the Bible tell us? The Bible tells us God created all creation, ex nihilo, out of nothing. Nothing. Nothing becomes something. Something that we love. So the next time you see a mountain vista or you go and see a beautiful palm tree lined beach and you want to express the glory of God, I want you also to remember that it magnifies and it proclaims not only God's greatness, but it also proclaims His ability to do the impossible because He created all of those things out of nothing. Look all around. Look how people who the doctors have left dead, they are still living. Look at situations considered impossible to resolve, and they are resolved. It is not by chance. It is not by luck. It is the very evidence of God at work. The God who makes impossibilities turn into possibilities. And that is the point of Gabriel to Mary. Mary, in case you're wondering, in case you want proof, your relative Elizabeth... Well past childbearing age is with child. I want you to notice the verb in verse 37. Look at verse 37. For with God, nothing will be impossible. Now, we expect the common verbal usage to say something like this. With God, nothing is impossible. And we say that all the time. With God, nothing is impossible. Well, what's the difference? When we say that... With God, nothing is impossible. The verb is implies a statement of truth. With God, nothing is impossible. Statement of truth. But when you use the verb will be. With God, nothing will be impossible. It is a statement of action. You see, at that moment where Mary is shell-shocked by this amazing news... Mary doesn't need more theology. She doesn't need a statement of truth. What she needs is a statement of action. God is going to do the impossible to make possible a virgin giving birth. And she needed that assurance. For with God, nothing, Mary, will be impossible. You know, that's why we love to hear the stories of God doing great impossibilities, because it reminds us that He can. We know He can. That should be enough. And He wants us to look around. And if you want to look at impossibilities made possible, look no further than yourself. The greatest reminder that the God who has revealed Himself is a God of impossibilities is you. Why do I say that? Look at how he took us, you and me, people who were destined to hell with no way to save themselves. My friends, there is no way that you and I could save ourselves. And he allowed us all the glories of heaven through salvation in Jesus Christ. To take an impossibility that we could not save ourselves to make it possible through Jesus Christ who stood in our place and died on our behalf and through his shed blood there is remission of sin. That is the great revelation that God is doing the impossible. Look no further than the transformation of your life and mine. As A.W. Tozer once said, God is looking for people through whom he can do the impossible. What a pity that we plan only the things we can do by ourselves. Isn't that great? God is looking for people through whom he can do the impossible. What a pity we plan only the things we can do by ourselves. We are the picture that the God who has revealed himself can do the impossible. We are the living picture to this world that we serve a God who can transform impossibilities to possibilities. And yet in our plans, we only plan to do things we can do with our two hands. How sad is that? The proof, the evidence that He can do the impossible is us and the nature that all surrounds us. So you say, well, who cares? Thank you, Pastor, for telling me the why and the how and the proof that God is a God who does the impossible. So what? Well, here's the so what, verse 38. What is the result of all this knowledge? Verse 38. Then Mary said, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord. Note this. Let it be to me according to your word. The angel departed from her. There was nothing else to say. Mary got it. When Mary is reminded of why and how And given the proof of God's ability to do the impossible, she comes to the resolution in her heart to let it be to me according to your word. Essentially put, she's saying, Lord, I submit to your will. You see, the revelation of a God who does the impossible is not for him to keep showing you that he can do the impossible. You know, that's how we are. God, show me something wonderful and magical and transformative. He shows it to us. Then show us another one and show us another one. We're always here for the show. It's not about the show. The revelation of the God who does the impossible is not for him to keep showing you impossible things he does. It is to allow us to sit back and resolve to let his will be done. When you know the why and the how and the proof of a God who does the impossible, it results in a life that submits to His will. That is the one important lesson I want you to take away this morning. If nothing else, remember that. When you know that there's a God who can do the impossible, take your hands off the steering wheel of your life and submit to His will. Mary said, let it be to me According to your word She saw that grace was the foundation Of why God Would do the impossible She didn't understand it But she acknowledged that the power of God Would be how She could conceive As a virgin And she would see The evidence that her relative Elizabeth Would be proof that God can do it And so she said okay God God Go for it. Do it. Do it, God. That's you. It's all you. And that should change our lives as well. Can God do the impossible and change hearts? Can he change your husband's heart? Can he change your wife's heart? Can he change your rebellious teenager's heart? Absolutely. An impossibility to you, but not impossible to God. So let him work as if it's his will. And relax. Can God meet your financial need as you are in the pit of your financial dire circumstance? Absolutely. So let him work it out in accordance with his will. And don't stress about it too much. Can God do the impossible and heal someone who the doctors have said is impossible to get well from? Absolutely. So let his work be done according to his will. And relax. when you acknowledge that God can do the impossible, it results in a submission to His will. It's as simple as that. There's a story of a man who was sleeping at night in his cabin when suddenly his room, filled with light, and the Savior appeared. This is a fiction story. The Lord told the man He had work for him to do and showed him a large rock in front of his cabin. And the Lord explained that the man was to push against the rock with all of his might Every day. This the man did day after day. For many years he toiled from sun up to sundown, his shoulders sat squarely against the cold, massive surface of that unmoving rock, pushed with all of his might every day. And each night the man returned to his cabin, body sore, worn out, feeling that his whole day had been spent in vain, because the rock moved not a millimeter. Seeing that the man was showing signs of discouragement, the evil one decided to enter the picture by placing thoughts in the weary man's mind. Satan said to him, you, you have been pushing against that, that rock for a long time and it hasn't budged. Why kill yourself over it? You're never going to move it. This gave the man the impression that the task was impossible and that somehow he was a failure. These thoughts discouraged and disheartened the man. And so he began to think, well, Why kill myself over this? I'll just put in my time, giving just the amount, minimum amount of effort to push the rock, and that'll be enough. And that's what he planned to do until one day he decided to make it a matter of prayer. And he took his troubled thoughts to the Lord. He said, Lord, in prayer, I've labored long and hard in your service, putting all of my strength to do what you've asked. Yet after all of this time, I've not even budged that rock by one millimeter. What's wrong? Why am I failing? And the Lord responded compassionately, my friend, when I asked you to serve me and you accepted, I told you that your task was to push against the rock with all your strength, which you have done. Never once did I mention to you that I expected you to move it. Your task was to push. And now you've come to me with your strength spent, thinking you have failed. But is that really so? Look at yourself. Your arms are strong and muscled. Your, your back sinewy and brown. Your, your hands are callous from constant pressure. And your legs have become massive and hard. Through opposition, you have grown much. And your abilities now surpass that which you used to have. Yet, you have not moved the rock. But my friend, your calling was to be obedient and to push and to exercise your faith and trust in my wisdom. This you have done. I, my friend, will now move the rock. There are many obstacles in our life which we call the rock of impossibilities. And God simply tells us to push the rock that's our responsibility. His responsibility is to move the rock. We've forgotten that oftentimes. We are called to push. It is his responsibility to move. That's why there's a Bible verse that tells us we are to have faith that moves mountains. We're not called to move the mountains. We are to have faith. That's our responsibility. It is God's responsibility ...to move the mountain. When you understand there's a God who does the impossible... ...then you can realize that you can cede to Him... ...the moving of that rock of impossibilities... ...and all you have to do is push. I know that there are things in your life... ...perhaps unspoken, that you wonder... God, when will you reveal yourself? When will you show forth your movement in my life? Continue to push because he can easily move it when the time is right. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you even for the reminder in my own heart. There are things that I want to do. I want to move heaven and earth, and yet that is not my responsibility. Moving heaven and earth is your responsibility. Moving the hearts of men and women is your responsibility. Changing them, using them is your responsibility. My responsibility is simply to submit, to be obedient, to do what you call me to do. May my life reflect the words of Mary After recognizing that you are the God who does the impossible, let it be to me according to your word. May that truth be the statement as we depart from this place in the hearts of each man and each woman here this morning that in recognition of your sovereignty and your all-powerfulness, your omnipotence, we depart with humility in our hearts knowing that we must submit to the will of the one can make impossibilities possible. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.